Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, nerds. Welcome to episode 485 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Uh, just Adam today, and I know that all the time, every time we have an interview on this podcast, I always say I'm really excited. I'm sure it's become like a running joke where I say I'm really excited for this author um, and the conversation we had. And the truth is, we are always excited. You know, every single author that we bring on, uh, we curate the list of you know people that we think will be interesting for you guys to listen to, whether they're bestsellers who have been around for years or debut authors who we want to help promote because we love their books. But the truth is, like, when Jill and I accept authors that are coming on the podcast um, with conversations with the publicists and stuff, we've been fortunate enough to really be able to curate, like, exactly who we want to talk to, we're able to. And so I am always really excited. Um, but this one is even a little bit bigger for me personally. Um I interviewed Ken Follett, author of the extremely popular Pillars of the Earth series. Uh, He has a new book that has come out uh, about two weeks ago called The Evening in the Morning. It's actually the number one book on the New York Times bestsellers list uh, last week when it debuted. Ken Follett has sold over 170 million copies of his books uh, since he began writing several decades ago. And his series of books uh, all about the Priory at Kingsbridge. Uh, this is a prequel to Pillars of the Earth, which started that series. Pillars of the Earth was the first book after I graduated college when I was able to, you know, finally be able to like sort of read for pleasure again. I did communications and a lot of English classes and uh, just wasn't, you know, I had kind of fallen off the reading for enjoyment thing. And this was the first book that I remember during that time, like, staying up all night to read these books and absolutely just like loving them and being enamored with the world he created and the stories and the characters who are so either impeccably good or impeccably horrible and uh, we talk about it a little bit in the conversation about how he's able to create some truly valuable people and He's just a really delightful man. So The Evening in the Morning is out now. It is the prequel to the Pillars of the Year series. It's also perfect for kind of quarantine and staying home because these books are very long. They're about 800 pages, and you can really just lose yourself in the world. Um, I know some people get um, maybe a little bit turned off by extremely long books, but I'm I'm imploring you if you haven't listened to or read these books or listened to the audiobooks yet. Uh, they are fabulous. And you don't need to have read the Pillars of the Earth series to enjoy the evening and the morning because it is a prequel. Um, there are some kind of little Easter eggs where he'll talk about certain places and you're like, oh, that comes up later in the series. But you can enjoy this um, being new to the series. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can always find us at professionalbooknerds.com. That's where you'll find all of our previous episodes. You can search for a genre or an author or a book and uh, you'll be able to see if we've talked about that book or spoken to that author before in our little search bar there. You can also pull up a bunch of really fun of the bingo cards that Jill has created, including her the fall one that is very 
you know, on point right now because it's October. Uh, also, if you're new to the podcast and listening for the first time because you saw the name Ken Follett, that's very understandable. Uh, if you go back to last Thursday's episode, we previewed all the books we can't wait to read in October, uh, which is really fun. Uh, lots of good stuff there. And if you enjoy the podcast and you want to help support us, you can always go to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a quick five-star rating. Uh, I know every podcast says that, but it really does help people find us a little bit more easily. So if you wouldn't mind taking that 30 seconds, we really appreciate it. Uh, and then, of course, Twitter and Instagram, at ProBookNerds. We're there, and we love interacting with people. So, okay, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I am so, so excited to be able to tell you to enjoy this conversation with the one and only Ken Follett on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, Adam. Wonderful to meet you, Ken. How are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for taking some time. I know they're... uh running you through a bit of a, a car wash today doing interviews. So I appreciate it. <laughs> That's a good word for it, car wash. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to tell you that this, not unsurprisingly, and I won't be the first or last person, but this book is so, so fabulous. I have adored the Pillars of the Earth, the Kingsbridge series for a really long time. So I'm uh, about three fourths of the way through. Sleep finally took a hold of me about four, four o'clock this morning. So I, I Oh my goodness. <laughs> It's it's worth it. I actually I um I was excited to do this because Pillars was the the first book when I was in college that I can remember doing that as well, staying up kind of all night reading it. So oh, that's great. Yeah, uh, we always kind of start our conversations by having you, the author, introduce the book. So do you want to give our listeners a, a bit of an introduction to the evening in the morning? Yeah, sure. Well, the evening in the morning is set around the uh, one thousand, and this is a turning point in world history because it's the end of the Dark Ages and the beginning of the Middle Ages. The Dark Ages were what they sound like, a time when culture uh, went backwards, all the great achievements of the Greek and Roman civilizations just disappeared from Europe. Uh, and, uh, it was, and it lasted 500 years. Mm -hmm. And then around the year 1000, things started to change. So that first of all struck me as a good moment to choose. Secondly, it's a good, it's a dramatic moment in uh, English history because there were three powerful groups competing for control of England. The Anglo-Saxons who lived there, the Vikings who kept raiding and stealing, and the Normans who were really the most sophisticated civilization, who were biding their time across the other side of the channel and who eventually uh, did conquer England and rule for hundreds of years. So I have a group of characters who are in the middle of that maelstrom and the, their location or the center at any rate of their activities is uh, the town of Kingsbridge, which has already appeared in the pillars of the earth and world without end and a column of fire. So for some readers who are familiar with Kingsbridge from the other books, it will also be an interesting journey back into the time when Kingsbridge wasn't a great city with a marketplace and a cathedral and a bridge, but was in fact a small village and a hamlet. So the books in this series, especially, you know, given their you know, time expansive nature that, you know, each of these books, you know, tells entire life stories and they're, they're told, 
you know, oftentimes several hundred years <clears throat> apart when you, when you do present them to your readers. I, I imagine your research process must be a little bit different for each of these books, especially this one, given that it's, you know, so far before. So, you know, what, what do you do when you're, when you're researching one of these books, knowing that it's a, a completely different time period from the other ones in the series? <clears throat> well, uh, this is a period, the Dark Ages, uh, about which we know rather less, certainly less than we know about the Middle Ages. Uh, and that's because uh, the, the Anglo-Saxons and other Europeans at this time didn't write much down. Uh, there were not many stone buildings. They lived in houses made of wood and straw, which, of course, have com now completely disappeared. Um, but there are some sources. So I began by making a tour of, of the, the few Anglo-Saxon buildings that there are in the United Kingdom. Uh, and then after that, there were two very useful sources of information for me. One is the Biotapestry, which is a work of embroidery that is like a strip cartoon. It's 60 yards long, and uh, on each of its panels, um, there is embroidered in coloured wool a scene from uh, the Norman conquest of England. Mm -hmm. Lot of battle scenes, of course, but as it were accidentally, the Bayou Tapestry gives us uh, information about everyday life. So we see people having dinner, for example. We see their cutlery and their crockery and their drinking vessels. We see people chopping down trees, mm. building ships. Uh, we see people with their dogs. We see people in church. So the tapestry is a marvelous uh, source of detail, the kind of little detail that, that you really need if you want to write a novel that, that has the air of being fully realized. You want to recreate a time in the past um, with all its details. And the other great source of information was a marvelous museum, which if, if any of our listeners are, happen to be going to Norway, you should not miss the Viking Ship Museum in mm -hmm. Oslo, the capital city of Norway. Uh, they have two uh, Viking ships, and they're they're not um, uh, they're not reproductions. They are originals of ships that were buried in the mud and somehow survived for a thousand years. Some restoration, but they're mainly original, and they are quite a sight to see. The Viking ships. They're very graceful. They're menacing as well as being beautiful. Uh, and that museum also has a lot of uh, artifacts from the time, coinage, weapons, uh, bits of helmet. Uh, so those really were the two, um, the two best things that I found in my researches. Was there something, I heard an interview where you were talking about trying to find research of like what types of underwear the characters wore <laughs> you know, in this time period. Um, in addition to that, and I heard you say you kind of had to make something up a little bit. You know, was there something while you were doing this research that really did kind of fascinate or surprise you that maybe you, you hadn't expected? Well, um, I was not, I was sort of vaguely aware that England at this time was a slave society, mm -hmm. but I didn't know the full details. And in fact, 10% of the population were slaves. 
Uh, and that's, that's a big number. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, it, you know, it wasn't just the occasional unfortunate person. It was absolutely a part of English society at the time. Uh, and so, of course, I had to, once I'd realized how important it was, uh, I had to feature it in the story in some way. I mean, you can't write about a slave society without writing about the slaves and how they're treated and what their fortunes and misfortunes might be. Um, so that was really an, an issue and a, and a drama that um, I, I wasn't expecting that came out of the research. And of course, um, it, and, and it becomes a very important part of the story. Uh, and the, the slave traders were the Vikings. Mm -hmm. So that knits the whole thing together. When the Vikings raided towns and villages on the coast or up rivers, uh, they would um, set fire to everything. They would steal uh, uh, anything that they could carry, particularly silver and gold ornaments from the church. But they also took young men and women uh, and sold them as slaves in their slave markets. They had three large slave markets, uh, one in Dublin in Ireland, one in Bristol in, in the west of England, and one in Rouen in France. Uh, and they were the principal uh, providers of slaves. People also commonly took prisoners of war and enslaved them. That was normal at the time. Uh, uh, I, I think probably all over the world. I mean, I don't really know, but um, if any time you read back into ancient history, you discover that people took prisoners of war mm -hmm. as slaves. Uh, but the business of trading in slaves was run by the Vikings. So that was, I thought that was interesting. And I th also think, you know, it, I, I think it's kind of funny that this, is so underplayed by mm -hmm. English historians. You know, they're embarrassed about it, quite rightly, but it, you know, it's, a, it's a, one of the brute facts of history. So along those lines, you know, with slaves being involved and of course slave owners being in, in this story, and I, and I promise this is a compliment, but you are able to write some truly vile characters throughout <laughs> this entire series. And I mean, of course it's, it's essential to the plot, uh, but. Is this, and maybe this is kind of a psychological question, a little introspective. Uh, do you find difficulty writing about the actions of these characters or is this something that is just sort, sort of part of the process? Or again, to get to the psychological part, is it something that you enjoy writing, I suppose? Um, well, the truth is that, that villainous characters are a pleasure to write. I mean, they're much easier than good people. Good people, the danger with good people is always that they're going to be boring. And uh, you never get that with really villainous characters. So I quite enjoy writing them. You have to be careful because, um, you know, they are often violent people mm -hmm. and um, uh, a, little, uh, a little sort of brutal cruelty goes an awful long way. My readers, all readers actually, don't want to read a great deal of violent cruelty. Mm -hmm. um, some of it, is essential because that establishes the character of the people you're dealing with. And, and we become emotionally involved, uh, but you don't, you don't want to be bombarded with it. It becomes tiresome after quite quickly. It becomes tiresome. You know, I don't know if, if, if you feel this, but 
I don't care if I never again see a TV cop show uh, about a woman who has been brutally treated and Absolutely. murdered. I have had enough of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, and it's just unpleasant. And I'm very conscious um, when I'm writing scenes of cruelty and violence that, that as I said, a little of that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. There's, I, I won't ask you to, to discuss it, but there's a scene about a third of the way through the book with a, with a baby that I will just, I'll leave it that. I won't get into it. But it's, a, it it's a little bit, like you said, that, that goes a long way, but something else that I love in this series, in addition to the, the care and handling with the characters that you provide, you know, there's this care and adoration for the process of creation, you know, whether it's a boat or a plow uh, the craftsmanship of a, a piece of jewelry even, or of course, you know, with pillars, like the construction of the nave of a cathedral, you really seem to have a true love for highlighting what goes into creating these specific things. So is this how you see your, your writing process as well? Uh, I, think, I think you're probably right about that. Um, mm-hmm. I certainly, and I admire very much people who are skillful with their hands and can make things. And, uh, and part of what I admire about them is their imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm kind of astonished by architects who can visualize an entire building in three dimensions in their heads. And, uh, you know, I, I, I find it quite difficult to visualize my own house in three dimensions. <laughs> you know, I'm not quite sure what is behind that wall. Is, mm-hmm. is the dining room behind that wall or the sitting room behind that? And so I, so I admire that. And I admire people who can do good work with their hands, partly because I can't. Mm-hmm. You know, I am actually a real duffer when it comes to that kind of thing. I can't put up shelves, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so that's part of my admiration. But you're right. I do sense that despite that, despite my personal inability to do skillful things with my hands like that, um, I do admire the creativity and imagination of craftsmen and craftswomen. And I think it's because I sense a similarity between what I do and what they do. And, and um, you know, when I think about uh, Tom Builder in the Pillars of the Earth, mm-hmm. imagining the cathedral that he would love to build. Of course, that is really very similar to me thinking of a story and mm-hmm. how it would begin and how it would develop and how it would come to its resolution. So you're 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 right. It's there's a strong connection. It, it's interesting to me because I think of you know there's books like Moby Dick when Melville writes on and on and on about whaling and I'm like okay let's I get it we, the oil is very important but with your books you know there are so many scenes of action and you know lust and murder and intrigue but then there are these long passages about you know for example in the evening in the morning there's like there's just a simple passage about leveling out the ground to make sure that this stone building is level and, and will stay up and I find myself getting excited to learn more went about these these things that I know nothing about. I'm much like you. I have no skill with my hands whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but I, are there scenes for you, you know, do you find these scenes challenging to write because of their, you know, architectural background? Or is that something that maybe you grew up studying and it just is second nature to, as opposed to, you know, writing a scene about a battle? 
Well, the challenge uh, is the challenge is is to um, share my fascination mm-hmm. because you know it's very easy to write something that I think is interesting and will bore the reader. Mm-hmm. That's the danger. So. So when I'm describing that kind of things, I must, I must somehow find ways to communicate to the reader how exciting this is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, uh, you know, I, I'm curious to know how people did these things before they had electricity and, and you know, and, and the kind of tools that you can buy for a, for a few bucks in a mm-hmm. hardware store, which today are perfectly balanced steel tools, um, n- knowing as I do that they didn't have anything that good right. in the Middle Ages. Um, so I'm curious and I'm fascinated. Okay, how did they manage? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene in The Pillars of the Earth, and actually, that's maybe that scene is a bit too long, but there's a scene where, where <laughs> The, the, um, the Masons are explaining to young Jack how they measure. Mm-hmm. And of course it was, they didn't have tape measures and that kind of thing, but they had a rod, which was a yard long. And um, I, it, what they needed to establish was how long a yard was on this building site. Right. And of course it wasn't the same as a yard in the, the building site in the next city mm-hmm. it was roughly the same but it wasn't exactly the same so and and i talked about that and how they would lay out the ground so they knew where the pillars were going to be built and i because i myself think how the heck did they do that with no <laughs> measuring tape and i hope some of that kind of fascination gets communicated to the reader so that the reader, reader go, I, hope, I want the reader to go, yeah, how did they do that? And then I will answer the question. There, it's a good rule, actually, in, uh, in fiction and, and maybe in nonfiction as well, that you shouldn't give the reader any information until the reader is actually wanting it. Mm. Uh, you, you cannot assume that the reader is going to be interested in what you're writing down. You've kind of got to make sure that you've planted the curiosity somehow. Well, I think you and I are similar. I, anytime I walk into a cathedral, I like my first, I, I'm not massively religious, though I would qualify myself as spiritual. But regardless, when I walk into a cathedral, I do have that moment where I look up and I'm like, people built this with their hands and I have no earthly idea how. So I do appreciate that you go through that, like the detail to, to share that. But um, th- speaking of the Middle Ages, there seems to be these time oriented touchstones that people adore reading about you know i think there's endless world war ii books or you know over here in the states like the prohibition new york setting is a a timeline where people will read endlessly and i feel like the middle ages is another one of those societal curiosities we have i'm curious as someone who has spent more perhaps more hours than anyone living writing about this time at this point what do you think it is about that period that interests us all so much as readers uh, I think the that the people were very similar to us, but their lives were so different from ours. So we, when we read about the Middle Ages, we can imagine ourselves 
living that kind of life. And we can think about how hard it would be. Um, but we're doing this while sitting in, in a warm house <laughs> uh, on a comfortable chair, um, not in any danger, mm -hmm. and um, maybe with, you know, a, a, a glass of wine or a cup of tea. Uh, and we, the contrast between the comfort, you, the reading about how awful the Middle Ages were makes you in, really enjoy the comfort of the 21st mm -hmm. century, I think. I think it's something to do with that. But it's also, you know, would I have had the courage? Uh, and where in all of my books, pretty much, there are characters who, re who refuse to accept the role that society offers them, particularly women, but also some men. And uh, I think then reading that kind of thing, we think, now, would I have had the courage to stand up and say, no, I, d I don't accept this. I'm not going to be the kind of person you want to turn me into. Would we have had the nerve to rebel against unfairness, mm -hmm. stand up for people who are being treated brutally? You know, Pr Prior Philip does this all the way through the pillars of the earth. Mm -hmm. Practically every chapter, he's standing up to some big guy with a, with a sword or a hammer in his hand and saying, I'm not going to let you do that. And, um, and of course it makes Prior Philip a very enjoyable and admirable character to read about. So um, I think we do, I think it's to some extent, it comes from our enjoyment, our pleasure in the fact that we're not actually living in the Middle Ages. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. It's also, I, I almost feel like sometimes I'm exhausted just reading about like Tom and, and in this book, Edgar, you know, how they do, they're so tirelessly like, okay, well, I need to do this task. But in order to do this task, I need to have a tool. The tool doesn't exist. So first I'm going to build that tool. It is always so impressive. Um, I know yeah, I, I've only got a few more minutes with you. So the, the, the question we always like leaving our authors with is what do you hope readers take away from the evening and the morning? Well, I, I mainly want to give them the experience. This is what, we all, what we're all looking for when we read fiction, which is the experience of being drawn into the imaginary world and being moved by it emotionally. That I think is the, that's what we want from literature. You know, I, I look at people in the bookshop. Uh, I, I look at somebody going around, looking at the covers, picking up a book, opening it, putting it back down again. And I'm thinking, now, what is, what is she looking for? There is something that she's hoping for that she will get from one of these books. And what is that? And, you know, I have spent uh, my adult life thinking about that question. And um, so I want them to have that experience of getting lost in the story. And as a kind of bonus, at the end of it, I want them to feel that they've learned something. That's not the main object. I'm not an educator. I'm not a school teacher. Uh, I'm, I'm, I want to... I want to draw them into the story. But if, if I think it's quite satisfying if at the end of a long novel, you say, now I understand something now that I didn't understand before. That's absolutely perfect. I, I will say your books, perhaps more than any, any other author, are the books that my mother, who was an educator for 40 years, I think your books are the ones she and I have discussed the most over my, my lifetime. So first off, 
you know, thank you for joining me today, but more importantly, thank you for sharing these stories. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com see you soon